Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. But on to today. Now, if you got my message earlier, you will have known that we are going to be going through another psalm today. I don't know, I've really fallen deeper in love, I would say, with the psalms over recent times and uh, specifically. Maybe it's the time the world's going through. It's, it's prayers that you can pray, you can pray through, you can connect with, and they will reinvigorate your belief your trust and your confidence in the lord and i pray that's what we're going to do today so as you can see i've shared my screen and i've got psalm 130 up in front of you and we're going to read it through i'll read it through for you guys and you're welcome to follow on and we're going to go through a presentation today i've done a study maybe a Haggah study of psalm 130 you see in preparing for today in my recent sharings, I've shared on, on hope. Last week, I shared on lament. And I've also shared on the process of reading or studying the Bible called Haggah, or meditating on the word. Today, I'm kind of putting them all together. This psalm puts both lament and hope together, but we need to chew on it. We need to meditate on it to get the richness out. And I hope today we can facilitate that process as we step through the psalm together. So without further ado, let's read Psalm 130. You can turn in your own Bibles or you can read it on the screen in front of you. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is what the psalmist says. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities so let's begin to unpack this the psalm that i've come to know and love it's one of my wife's favorite psalm and she really introduced me to the power of it and i think in my study of the psalm i've really fallen in love not only with its words but its structure and its style which we're going to pay specific attention to now you see psalm 130 initially to, to the eye, you can see is almost divided into two parts. The first part, like we've studied last week, is, a, is, a, is almost lamentful. And we can, we're going to go on to describe that just now. But out of the first phrase, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. That is a very lamentful open of the psalm. And the psalm is classified as a penitential psalm or a lamentful psalm. But the second part of the psalm, as we will go and discuss, brings out hope and the waiting for the Lord. That is the two basic parts of the psalm. But we're going to dig a little deeper today. And we're going to 
we're going to discover that this psalm is divided into four basic parts, each of them paired in paired verses. The first part, verse one and two, I've dubbed as the cry from the depths. The second part, I've called the Lord's nature revealed in verse three and four. The third is the response of waiting and hoping. And the fourth is the public charge to do the same. All right. Now let's go into, we're going to study each of these parts separately, and we're going to go through these paired verses and study each subject and what they convey and how they build upon each other to bring us towards the public charge of waiting and hoping. So let's study the first part, the cry from the depths, verse one and two, the cry from the depths. Out of the depths is that phrase with the psalm, like we said, opens up with. And remember, we said lament is is directing painful pleas to the Lord. Remember, that is the overwhelming characteristic of lament. Remember, it's not a complaining vent session about the Lord or about your situation, but it's a it's a directing of your lament to the Lord. And the psalmist opens up the psalm just like that, and he with a desperate cry to the Lord. Now, this phrase out of the depths is really important. It's a really powerful metaphor. The metaphor of the psalmist buried deep in the dark, tumultuous ocean waters. A stormy dark waters consistently represent danger and chaos in the Bible. And we're going to go on to discuss this a bit more later. One of the, the papers or the thesis I really enjoyed reading and in preparation for the study was a paper from Professor Lee Roy Martin from the University of South Africa. I'm amazed at how much good stuff is coming out of South Africa and, and theology in South Africa. So, Philip, you're in the right place. This is what he says. All of the agony, all of the pain, all of the guilt, and all of the shame is spoken directly to Yahweh from within the depths of suffering. A powerful figure of speech. The depths bring to mind the feeling of despair and urgency that might overtake a person who is drowning in the deep waters with no way of escape. If you can just imagine, I mean, teach, my kids were learning to swim and Andy, particularly my son, was scared of the water. And sometimes he still is that feeling of not being able to, to catch your breath when you maybe didn't take a deep enough breath and you went underwater. I want you to understand that feeling with the psalmist is trying to convey and bring out and remember that feeling of, of drowning, that feeling of gasping for air and desperation. You see, it almost harkens back to the imagery of Psalm 69. And it's not unique to Psalm 69. If you read the Bible from beginning to end, like we said, chaotic, dark, tumultuous ocean water represents chaos and danger. But Psalm 69 says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. That's the first two verses of Psalm 69. So hear and feel the urgency and the desperation of the psalmist. 
In the next few lines, he says repeatedly, he, he pleads to the Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. Both those phrases are, are the psalmist crying out to the Lord to hear his voice and his ears to be attentive. But what is the psalmist crying out to the Lord for mercy? What exactly is he believing the Lord to do? Well, let's let's go on. The next section is I've titled the Lord's nature revealed. But you see, verse three of this section tells us what the psalmist is crying out to the Lord for. The psalmist is drowning in his guilt, his shame and all that goes with sin. He's battling and he's trapped like drowning in this flood waters of sin. And we know that. The cycle in which sin perpetuates, it perpetuates guilt and shame. And it feels like you're almost up to your neck and you're just trying to get head, head above water to breathe. So the psalmist desperately cries out to the Lord for mercy. I'm reminded when I hear that word mercy, like the blind men that cry out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And I want, as we read the psalm, we're reading an old covenant psalm, Psalm 130. Before Jesus walked the earth. But I want you to see Jesus' nature as well as the Lord's nature being revealed constantly through the song. I want you to have that in the forefront of your mind. You see in this one verse, in verse 3, it's that the psalmist almost confesses not only his own sinfulness, but the whole world's. And, he's, and he knows too well that he and the whole world can't help themselves out of the sin depth that they are drowning in. The message translates these verses as, if you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who could stand a chance? Note the very first word that's very important, and I'm underlying there, if. If you, God, kept record on wrongdoings. Praise the Lord. Thank, thank, to, thank to the Lord for his mercy and his compassion that he doesn't keep a record of our wrongdoings. Otherwise, none of us, none of us, no human being would have stood a chance. You see, the psalmist says if because he has previously experienced the Lord's compassionate mercy in the past. This is evident by his words here. And he calls on this nature once again to be revealed. Maybe you're familiar with the author of The Hiding Place, Corrie ten Boom. And she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp along with her whole family because in, in World War II in Germany, they were hiding Jews in her home. And she writes this powerful sentence. She says, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. This is a lady who her and her family were sent to a concentration camp in World War II Germany. There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. For me, this is a beautiful summary of this very psalm that we are studying right now. Let's go to verse four. And this is a key verse. It says, but remember last week we read Psalm 13. Similar Psalm 130. It says, yeah, but with you there is forgiveness. This but again is the hinge in which the psalmist's door of hope in the Lord swings open. This is again the result of true lament, trust. Trust will always be the result of true lament, but importantly, choosing to trust in the Lord. 
You see, true lament, like the heading of this section, is grounded in the Lord's nature. And so when we lament, when we cry out to the Lord to hear us, we, we end up with a realization and a revelation that our whole being, our whole soul is in his hands. So true biblical faith, hope, and trust is grounded in God's character and his nature, just like we studied in Psalm 13. And we said God loves us loyally, graciously, mercifully, and compassionately. That is who he is. He has rescued and provided for Israel in the past, and he will do so again. The psalmist knows this. The psalmist, as an Israelite, knows this. He knows the Lord as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and merciful. He does not feel safe and secure in the flesh. We can see that from the opening passage where it says, out of the depths. Nevertheless, he places his heart and his trust in the security of the Lord's character, the Lord's nature, the Lord's love and redemption. This is where he grounds his faith and his trust in the Lord. That's why when it says, but with you, but with you, there is forgiveness. The hinge with the psalmist's door of hope in his heart is now swinging open and he is trusting in the Lord. Never mind what he's going through. Never mind the guilt, the shame, the bitterness, the torridness of sin that is gripping him. He casts that off metaphorically and he looks to the Lord and he puts his trust in the Lord. He chooses trust. And this is the turning point of the song. And we can see that. We can see that now as we enter that next section. Now on the hope side. The section is the response of waiting and hoping. This is my favorite section of the song. Not only as the doors of hope open, but they are now stand wide open. You see, the psalmist is talking to himself now in third person. And he exhorts himself in verse 5 and 6. He exhorts himself to wait for the Lord. He exhorts his own soul to wait for the Lord and discover hope in the Lord's word. Now, we're going to study two Hebrew words here. The Hebrew words that for wait and for hope in these verses that I've underlined in front of you in verse 5. Wait in Hebrew is kava and hope is yachal. These are the two Hebrew words for hope, and you will see the beauty of the overlap. If you ask a Jewish speaker or ancient Jew, what are the words for hope or word, they would give you two. They would give you kava and they would give you yachal. So let's study those a bit deeper. Now, many of you have heard my, my previous sharing and study on Isaiah 40 verse 31 and what it means to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord and you shall mount up with wings as eagles. I've shared that already and I'm not going to go into too much detail. But in summary, that context of waiting on the Lord is translated. And even if you read in the Amplified, if you read Isaiah 40, 31 from the Amplified, it says it translates that wait to expect, to look for and to hope in him. So all of a sudden we know this wait is a bit different to the wait that we know. You see. The word wait there and the word wait here in Psalm 130 verse 5 and 6 is translated as kava. Kava in Hebrew constitutes the notion of twisting and binding together 
like a cords or cords of rope or strands of rope. You will see the picture there on your right hand side. It's a beautiful picture of kava. But specifically, not just a multi-stranded cord, but the tension of when that rope is pulled taut. The specific, the tension of enduring, that holding that rope taut, enduring that full tautness of the rope. That is kava. Like the strength of a rope stems from its multiple strands being twisted and bound together in the state of kava, it's when the multiple strands are pulled taut, only then is fully realizing and demonstrating its strength. I've got two quotes there. One from Unveil the Bible. It says, Kava is the feeling of tension and anticipation that builds up as you wait for something or someone. You only need to look, for, look at a child when they are waiting for something, whether it's the return of their parents and after promising them they would get them something from the shop, whether it's on Christmas Day. You know, you see that tension and anticipation on a kid's face. It's like a rope being pulled toward. They're at their limit of, of excitement in that example. But sometimes it's in, at the limit of mercy. You, that tension, that, that pressure. The next quote again from Professor Lee Martin says, Waiting involves the very essence of a person's being, his soul. Indeed, the psalmist emphasizes the involvement of his soul, his whole being in this intense waiting process. You see, the Hebrew word for soul in, in this psalm, but also in the Old Covenant, is nefesh. And nefesh means throat. For the Hebrew mind, they weren't so concerned about splitting the soul up. They, they saw the soul as the whole being of somebody. His whole being is waiting for the Lord. What about the, the other kind of hope that we mentioned? Yachal. Well, to unpack Yachal, we need to turn back to Genesis when it was first used. Specifically the time of Noah when the whole world was engulfed in a terrifying flood. I'm sure you're familiar with this, this story that we've made a Sunday school story, but it, it's, a, it's, it's really a really rough story. You see, God gives humans completely over to their pursuit and their fixation of sin. Humans in Noah's day sought to rule the earth on their own terms. And sin therefore dominated the world and with that, with sin, so did death and chaos. The flood that followed was a real physical symbol of the state of the world before it. A raging stormy waters of sin, chaos and danger. Do you see now as we're going back to Genesis 8, can you see the image of chaotic dark, stormy depths of waters. It speaks of sin, chaos, and danger, disorder. Let's read Genesis 8, verse 10 to 12 from the English Standard Version. This is speaking about Noah. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited, Yachal, another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. You would have noticed there that I have translated for you in the Hebrew words for waited that are different if you read it from your English Bible. 
You see, to fully understand Yechal, which is mentioned later in verse 12, we need to understand the alternative form of waiting in this very passage we're reading in front of us. Now, as you read, this is the time where we know Noah has sent out the raven already, and it was unsuccessful, unfruitful. The, the, the raven just returned. Now, Noah endures the first period of waiting after the raven returned. He waits for seven days. And this waiting is separate both to Kava and to Yachal. The Hebrew word for this waiting is Chul. Is Chul. Okay, I'm teaching you some Hebrew today. Now, this first waiting in verse 10, which is the after it, wait, after the raven returning, he waits the seven days before sending out the dove the first time, is Chul. And Chul is to twist, to whirl, to writhe in pain or fear, to wait in anguish or in anxiety. The word chul denotes a very turning, continually in motion, rest, restlessness, pain or fear. You see, this restlessness of waiting is the constant motion of busyness, not being able to sit or stand, continually spinning and driven by pain and anxiety. It's like when someone is nervous and they're walking up and down and they're in pain. Someone in severe pain never sits still peacefully and calmly. They're always either in a fetal position, bobbing up and down, or they are riling, or they are spinning. This is what this word chul means. You know what? The world knows what this waiting looks like all too well. And Noah, before sending out the dove the first time, he is in a state of anxiety and pain. And he is like, when is this going? When is these waters, when is this chaos, this disorder, this sin going to subside in our lives? When are we going to be able to get out of this boat? I'm sure all of you in the pandemic have been trying to get out of this home and isolation that you've been in. And maybe you had a nervous and anxious and painful experience. Well, this is Chul for Noah. Now, why am I talking about Chul when I'm trying to explain Yechal? Well, as you'll see in verse 12, Yechal, the waiting and hoping there is completely different. And it transitions, Noah transitions from a period of restlessness to restfulness in his waiting from the first time he sends the dove to the second time he sends the dove something changed his waiting changed you see the waiting may not be less painful he's still waiting for those waters to con con completely subside so that he can hit land that he may find rest and that he can get onto stable ground you see this waiting response is different though it may not be less painful, but it endures the pain differently, both in its what it looks like, in its purpose, and its action. Yechal means to wait, to be patient, and to hope, and to have hope. Yes, it may be to be pained, but it's to stay a while, to tarry, to trust, and to wait. The key word there is patience. What changed between Noah's first characteristic of waiting, the chul, the painful, restless waiting, to the second, yachal, type of waiting. Well, we know when the dove came back the first time, the dove came back with something in its mouth, as you will see in the picture on the right-hand side. It came back with an olive leaf in its beak. Noah now had something to hold on to. He had something to hope on, to stand on, to trust on. 
he had the promise of eventual liberation and stability. He had this olive leaf, which represents the Lord's nature and his fulfillment of his promise. And now Noah is able to hope and to wait differently from the first time. We had nothing. He didn't have anything. He just sent the raven and it came back. There was no sign of life. There was no sign of, of, of dry land and, and solid ground. You see, Noah's waiting changes to Yachal. He has something to be patient on. He has something to hope on. He has something that still in his pain and his tarry, he can trust though and he can wait. Noah waits for a sign of inhabitable dry land with Yachal expectation based on the evidence of the Lord's nature. And this is the key to the psalm. This is the key to Hebrew understanding of Yachal hope. It has an evident hope. It's the evidence of the Lord's nature revealed, which we just spoke about in verse, in the previous verses, verse four, three and four. So let's combine Kava and Yachal, the tension of the rope and the patient enduring of Yachal. Kava and Yachal is the enduring, waiting, binding hope in the Lord. Paul Gilchrist argues that the kind of hope signified here is not a pacifying wish of the imagination, which drowns out troubles, nor is it uncertain. The world is familiar with that hope too. They wish things would get better. They hope that things may look different on the outside, and they hope it will come soon. But this hope, this biblical kava and yachal is different. Rather, it is solid ground of expectation where they trust and hope is put in the Lord because he is trustworthy. He has done it before and he will do it again because this is who he is. And this trust is directed towards God. Note the contrast of Paul Gilchrist's words there. Very very important and applicable to the psalm. He said, drowning, the difference between drowning in uncertainty of the deep and standing on the solid ground of expectation and hope in the Lord and his nature. That was Noah. That is the psalmist here. We open the psalm with him being trapped and pulled down in the depths of sin and its effects. He was drowning in the uncertainty of the deep. But it's out of this place that he cries out and he exhorts himself to kavah and to yachal, to wait and to hope to the Lord and in the Lord. He binds and he anchors his soul in the Lord's nature, in which he describes as merciful and forgiving. And then he finds himself trusting on the solid ground of expectation and hope. This is the transition that the Noah went through, and this is the transition the psalmist goes through in Psalm 130. The words wait, kava, and hope, yachal, are used here in parallel to each other to support and com complement each other, to fully illustrate what biblical waiting and hope looks like. One more time, kava is the binding taut tension of waiting and anticipation. That tense binding and strength of waiting anticipation. But yachal is the ability to patiently endure that tension, holding on to the trust nature of the Lord. This is beautiful when we understand what it looks like to have biblical hope 
in the Lord, to wait, to cover, to hope, to yachal on his nature. Then the psalmist in verse 6, he gives us a beautiful illustration of this yachal, this waiting and patiently waiting and this kavar tension. He gives a beautiful metaphor. Almost the opposite of the deep stormy waters, he gives a beautiful metaphor of more than watchmen for the morning. Now I want you to time travel back to ancient times where there were high walls and on those walls there were watchmen whether they were priestly duty or whether they were soldiers at night. Watchmen had a very important purpose. They stood watch at night and they were the alarm systems of the old ancient days. Their eyes, it was important that they were visible, they were vigilant and they could see no matter what the conditions were. It, it was very dark. They didn't have spotlights, they had flame lights. It was very dark, maybe foggy, cold. It was dark, depressing. So if you were a watchman on that wall, you knew the responsibility that was on your shoulders. Can you imagine how you anticipated for the morning to come, for relief to come to you, but also for that morning to come that you will know you are safe again, you, are, you have made it through the night. Let me read you some quotes. It says, yeah, the psalmist uses this vivid imagery to explain his patient anticipation in waiting on God. We see a watchman in the darkness of the early morning scanning the horizon for the first sign of the dawn. The night watchman carries out his job while he is surrounded by darkness and uncertainty. He is weary and tired. He is aware of the great responsibility resting on his shoulders. But this is very important. The watchman doesn't doubt the morning will come. But he only wonders when and he waits and he watches for it expectantly and diligently. So it was for the psalmist who watches and waits for God and the help of God's promises that will bring. Such a beautiful illustration, more than watchmen in the, for the morning. What it means to kavah, what it means to yachal, to wait and hope for the Lord and his manifestation of his promises. Then we get to the last section of the psalm. And this, this psalm is, is, is the uniqueness of the psalm comes through. Not only did the psalmist make a transition from prayer to praise, as many psalms of lament do, but Psalm 130 uniquely transitions from lament to exhortation, where he has girded himself up he has reignited and regirded his trust and his faith and his hope in the Lord, speaking to himself in third person, that now, while still in waiting mode, he suddenly turns and encourages the rest of his fellow Israelites to put their hope and their trust in the Lord. He is waiting in hope, and now he invites all of Israel to share in his confident ex expectation. You see, now he gives a public charge to his fellow comrades, to his fellow Israelites. He has confidence in his time of waiting for the answer from the Lord. This, this turns into testimony and is a clear and present witness for the rest of the nation of Israel, who is also waiting, awaiting restoration with Yahweh, their Lord, their covenant and sovereign God. You see in verse 7 and 8, we see the psalmist, 
now turning to encourage and exhort his fellow brethren. Folks, this is what it means to be a believer. Not just having hope for ourselves and hope, having enough yachal and kava, trust and hope in the Lord that we may get through the dark places and get out of the depths of the deep, but that we may have enough that, uh, that we may encourage others, that we may exhort others, that we may say, oh Israel, oh humanity, oh neighbors, oh friends, oh family, hope in the Lord. Why? Why do we hope in the Lord? Again, because of who he is, his nature. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Again, the basis for Kavah and Yachal, the biblical hope of waiting, is the Lord's nature. The Lord himself described his very own characteristic and his nature. To Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7. And I'm going to read the message translation. Now, this is God speaking. He said, God passed in front of him and called out, God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. The psalmist in Psalm 86, verse 15, almost echoes the Lord's nature back to him saying, but you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and bounding in love and faithfulness. This is who our Lord is. The psalmist reminds and encourages and exhorts Israel and us today to remember and stand and rely on this very nature of our Lord. The psalmist stirred up his hope and now he stirs up our hope today in reading it. He says to the Israelites, he will redeem Israel. Folks, he's talking to Israel before Christ. He's talking to Israel awaiting for their Savior, awaiting their Messiah, their long-promised Messianic Davidic King that will come and rescue them from generations of hurt, of isolation, of slavery, of sin. He's saying to his nation of Israel, the psalmist is saying, the Lord himself will redeem Israel. Folks, we are on the other side of the cross and we know the Lord has not only redeemed Israel, but all of humanity. He himself in Jesus Christ has done that. Like I said to you when we were going through the Psalm, I want you to picture Jesus. Picture Jesus' nature as the very nature of the Lord because we know Jesus is the Lord. He was the word and he was the word made flesh and he was the Lord that we read his nature and his characteristics brought alive in a human being. The fact that Jesus comes down on earth and walks among us and dies for us on the cross and is resurrected gives us a very real, tangible, touch-worthy explanation of the Lord's nature because Jesus reflects the nature of the Lord because that is who he is. He is full of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true in loyal, loyally in love with us for thousands of generations. He forgave our iniquity, our rebellion, and our sin. See, the psalmist's trust, the psalmist's yachal and kava and hope was answered in the person of Jesus himself.
the Lord indeed did redeem all of humanity himself in Jesus and fulfilled the hope of the psalmist. And we can give the Lord glory and honor for that in our lives today. Folks, this is what I wanted to share with you. I hope you were blessed. In We did a real study and breakdown of Psalm 130. And for me, I when I read the psalm, now I read it with a deeper understanding because I see the words that the Lord and the psalmist communicates his nature to us. For the Lord, there is steadfast love. With him, there is plentiful redemption. And he has redeemed all of us from our iniquity. Folks, I don't know if you're going through anything challenging. I don't know if you are feeling that the, the deeps are covering you and almost up to your neck. And maybe you have cried out constantly like the psalmist has. But I encourage you just and I exhort you just as the psalmist exhorts us today to hope in the Lord. Because of who he is, his very nature. There is always hope because Jesus has come and has saved us all. And today he sits at the right hand of our father and intercedes for us. Again, like I said last week, if it's not for you, have enough hope like the psalmist had that you may encourage and exhort your fellow brothers and sisters around you, your neighbors, to put their yachal and their kava hope in the Lord and that they may ground themselves on His very nature. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org. Dot Z8.